Himalayas Studios. Kristen, how do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Oh, I don't do them. <laughs> say, I don't think Kristen touches them ever. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really see the point of it. It's such a very, like, loaded thing to do. It, it, it almost feels like it's too much pressure. And mm. if you fail that, it's your resolution, mm. your whole year is ruined. And it's usually ruined within three weeks when you stop going to the gym mm-hmm. or when you start eating cookies again or whatnot. And so I'm just like, I don't want to set myself up for failure. I don't want to make a giant declaration <laughs> on the same yeah. date that everybody else on the planet is. I just want to every day do the best I can. What about you, Jalenta? I've always been a little bit pro New Year's resolution for a long time. In my early years, you know, my teens, (laughs) early 20s, I sort of enjoyed the momentum of like all the nations joining gyms, signing up for yoga, (laughs) and like Whole30 this, and like more massages that. I like the momentum, but I've realized in doing by the book, like that momentum is pretty easy to recreate. And sometimes like the bigger the initial excitement is, the less the changes stick is just what I have found having sort of forced ourselves to do like tons of mini resolutions. It's sort of what by the book like can feel like sometimes. Yeah. Where I think in the long run, I've learned Kristen is right. The ones that feel less like a sort of tidal wave of excitement and more like, here are a billion little tiny changes that over a long period of time add up to like that big change you've been wanting. If it isn't clear yet, this is the dynamic Kristen Meinzer and Jolette Greenberg bring to their podcast by the book. Kristen's more skeptical, while Jolenta's a little more freewheeling. And that is what makes Bite a Book, and what it does, so fun. From Alia Studios, this is Serving a Pod. I'm Nick Kwa. This week, the good, the bad, and the entitled in the world of self-help books. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Hey, Kristen. Yeah, Jolenta. Lots of us are feeling really stuck in place right now. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. We're working from home. We're schooling from home. We're living at home. We're socializing on our video screens at home. Mm-hmm. We're crying at home. We're <laughs> uh, doing it all at home, right? Uh, Yes, very true. And under these circumstances, some folks are feeling more trapped and less in love with where they live. 
oh, but I bet we can try to remedy that, right? Uh, yeah, with a book, because I'm Jolenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is By the Book. Kristen Meinzer and Jolenta Greenberg met while working on a news show and became fast friends. That's where Jolenta came up with the idea for By the Book and knew she wanted Kristen as her co-host. Each episode, Kristen and Jolenta fully commit to living by a self-help book for two weeks. Sometimes the rules are explicit, sometimes they're implicit, but Jolenta and I work really hard to distill those rules to find them in the books. And then every book we live by, I think the shortest was only four steps, but Mm. it ranges from roughly, usually it's somewhere between six and eight steps that we live by. The longest books sometimes have 10 steps. And there's always a a vernacular, too, that we try to, like, keep intact even when distilling it and when sort of talking about it and living by it. So we try to use that as a tool to help sort of immerse us quickly. And then we have to sort of backtrack once we make the episode to make sure everything makes sense and it doesn't sound like we're talking about, like, gibberish intentions too much. (laughs) (laughs) They've tried out some of the most famous self-help books of all time, like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, and The Secret. It's sad that I have to just force myself so hard to say things that other than being like a popular, well-known comedian, like the other things I'm asking for are super basic, <laughs> like like myself, like feel confident that my dog's not a piece of shit. Like I'm not reaching for the stars. And I've also tried some recent classics like The Gifts of Imperfection and Girl, Wash Your Face. For a book that's supposed to be about living your best life right. and being happy, the fact that Everything is focused on listen to this lie you tell yourself and I lie to myself this way and don't do this. And I just thought, first of all, I don't tell myself these lies and other people, I'm sure, would react better if you didn't just presume they were lying to themselves all the Mm -hmm. time. There's got to be a better approach to get into things. And they're willing to try all sorts of books, though there is one particular type of book they can't exactly experiment with. We've always wanted to try like dating books or like pickup techniques. <laughs> yes, but as but, we but are both, both <laughs> legally partnered uh, in monogamous relationships, our partners have requested we not. But I've like that would just be so much fun to try <laughs> and like just make for such good sound of like yeah. like yes. one of us psyching ourselves up, either getting like a hit or a miss. Like, oh, it would just be so much fun to make. Yeah, living by the rules would be amazing. If we could, <laughs> oh, if we could live the by rules. the rules, it would be fantastic. That's the book about how to get a husband. Yeah. <laughs> T- tell me more about it, because I've only heard about it in passing. Oh, my gosh. Like the it. opposite <laughs> of the game. <laughs> yes. It, it's essentially like, don't call him back for four days. Only right. wear dresses. Keep your hair long. Make this chicken on date eight. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there, there are a lot of rules about how to essentially play yourself down to be feminine, not threatening, submissive. Yeah. Chaseable, but interested. Yeah, all of the above. And the authors of that book, if I'm not mistaken, they were very, very highly educated businesswomen who just wanted to apply certain principles of business to dating. And, you know, you just got to have your goal in mind. You got to follow the steps. You got to do this. And then by the end of this, you'll have a husband. And they did. But what most people don't talk about is that while both of them got married, I think it was only three years later, they both got divorced also. So what was it like when you first started to read these books and follow the guidance? 
I think what's been shockingly difficult throughout this process is distilling the actual advice from Mm. books as we begin the two weeks and making sure Kristen and I, after reading it, agree, like, is the, are these the sort of things that the book is outlining that will improve our lives? Or did you read this completely differently? I mean, I'll just be frank with you. A lot of self-help books are just really poorly written. They're well, absolutely... That, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> They're a absolutely lot of them are based terrible. on tweets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like a, of, a fun idea with nothing behind it. Yeah. And a lot of them are just like, I felt this thing and then I said this thing to myself. And then there's nothing there beyond that. Like, yeah. where are the action items? Where are the actual steps? What am I supposed to do other than just visualize this thing? A yeah. lot of self-help books are really like, if you can dream it, you can do it. And it's like... And? And then what? (laughs) And And here's how I, a privileged, white, often male person, did it. Yeah. Yay. You don't have those resources or the benefit of that doubt. Bye. Yes. I I don't want to stereotype because I I actually consume a lot of self-help stuff and, and like, um... And I do personally take some like a good amount of value from some of it, but like I feel like the kinds of people who are drawn to who's saying that I will write a self help book, it takes a certain kind of character. Is that, is oh, they're <laughs> amazing! They are amazing people. That's one of my favorite things about this show that I think has has never waned. Yeah, uh, is the fact that essentially in reading a self help book, we get to read uh, like a self study in obsession and like how to alleviate or like feel like some sense of control over what said person is like obsessed with in in any area of life, whether it's like home decoration, storage, meditation, you name it. It's a study in like extreme people. And there's something really interesting about the personality of someone who feels like they've figured it out Mm. enough that they should be a guru for the rest of us because a lot of them... If you scratch the surface, it's like, I don't actually know if you should be a guru. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think you should. <laughs> you're, you're as uh, messed up as I am. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. After the break, Kristen and Jolenta's picks for some of the best and worst self-help books they've lived by. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Alias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com events. Since starting by the book, 
Kristen and Jolenta have become published authors themselves. Kristen wrote a book called So You Want to Start a Podcast, and she and Jolenta wrote a book together called How to Be Fine, all about the lessons they've learned from reading so much self-help. And Kristen learned what the building blocks of a good self-help book are. I would say, state clearly what your premise is, then (laughs) follow through with distinct steps and chapters. I mean, I'm going to introduce the book, tell you my credentials, tell you my overall philosophy, break it into seven sections, and these seven sections will be broken down further, and every single part will be actionable and easy to follow, and there will be examples Mm -hmm. in every single chapter. But if you were told to, like, make a chart of, like, just the steps, you could so easily. Yeah. And, I mean, I I think that one reason I was able to write that book uh, as effectively as I did was because I'd read so many bad self-help books (laughs) for buy the book with Jolenta. And with Jolenta, I'm like, oh... I, I cannot write a book that's as bad as these ones. <laughs> and so uh, I really, I thank you, all bad self-help book writers, because <laughs> thanks to you, I wrote a better book. Thank you. They, they, <laughs> they crawled so that you could read. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, Gillette, would you agree that, that that would be the the right rule to approach a self-help book? Yeah, like actual steps with the goal clearly stated And also, I think uh, one of the books that I didn't necessarily love the advice, but uh, I loved a section was Dan Harris's Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, in which he talks about how he is an affluent, straight white man who was born into, you know, an upper middle class family, got a good education that was paid for. Essentially, he was born on third base. So it's easy for him to sort of preach about taking an hour to meditate every Every day when he has like a nanny and, uh, you know, health insurance. Just having that acknowledged makes the advice to me so much friendlier and so much uh, I don't feel talked down to about sort of my station in life if I can't match where the author is also starting from. And I just thought it was uh, such an easy thing to put in a book and it really made a difference for me as a reader. And it's one of the only times I've seen it. And we've read... Over 50 books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's also come across to me uh, listening to the show and also reading a bunch of self-help books myself is the sense that like so many of these books or, or most of the time and, and to sort of really reduce it down to a stereotype, I'm sure there are, are exceptions, really important ones, but it really does feel like more often than not, even a notion of the project of mounting a self-help book comes from a, from a sense of privilege and also comes yeah, from yeah. an unawareness of of how that privilege prevents it from being really universally effective. And I'm curious as to whether you've seen any really strong examples of self-help book that really is grounded and understands its privilege. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I was going to say, you hit the nail on the head there, Nick. There are so many books that pretty much are saying, if I can do it, anyone can. Those are all books by influencers and bloggers. Yes, and none of them mention, oh, my parents paid for a prestigious private school. I never had to take out loans to go to college. When I was applying to Harvard, I got nervous I wouldn't get in. That was hard, but I overcame it. That's a a real self-help book. That's a legit self-help book. (laughs) (laughs) And that was her story of struggle to show if she can deal with struggle. That was her one obstacle. Yes. Um, But yeah, there are absolutely books that I think do a better job of that. There was one we lived by this last season. So you want to talk about race that was absolutely Mm. one of the best self-help books we have not just lived by this season, but 
ever. And it's also just one of the best books I've ever read in my whole life. And a lot of it, you know, for people of color might be obvious, you know, especially people of color living in America. But what I thought was so good about it is she speaks frankly about the mistakes she's made. She speaks frankly about the advantages she has. She speaks frankly about the times where maybe she was being biased towards certain people and wasn't doing the best that she could. And that was so refreshing. We hardly ever get to hear those kinds of stories in the self-help books we read, and especially when there's so much at stake in that kind of book. And that that was just so refreshing. And it made this book that was so important that much more relatable and less scary, I'm guessing, for a lot of the readers. What kinds of self-help books would you would, would the both of you like to see more of? Oh, that's I feel like that's easy. The ones that look outward more. Mm-hmm. There are the yes. ones that look inward that are like, you can cultivate this bubble of like everything you imagine and like perfection and try to like keep it and curate it like a like an influencer. Or they're the ones where it's like, let's try and push a bubble of contentment, like as far out as we can and make like neighborhoods happy or get involved in our political system and Mm. make changes or, you know, look at how we talk about and treat race. Uh, The ones that look outside of us. Yeah. The ones that try to tackle the things that cause us to be unhappy in the first place, because if we're dealing with the systems and fixing those, that's going to do way more for us than just telling people to visualize each morning before they get out of bed. Like, I'm not saying that visualization in bed each morning won't make that one person a little happier, but it won't fix the systems that are causing all those people to not want to get out of bed in the morning in the first place. So so not self-help, but like mutual aid, essentially. Yeah. I mean, some people call it community care. Some people mm. call it um, self-help with a broader lens. Like um, humanist self-help? It's part of a social movement more than mm. anything, the idea that self-help and self-care. Um, yeah. I mean, and part of it is because self-help and self-care, this was originally like an Audre Lorde idea, like taking the idea of self-care as a revolutionary thing for black women, saying, I take care of myself, and that in and of itself is a revolutionary act. It's one that says, I belong here, taking Mm. care of myself, choosing to live, choosing to wake up each day, choosing to stay strong for the fight. That is a black woman's vocabulary originally that was essentially stolen by a bunch of white self-help people. It became like a Karen's Pinterest board. Yes, yes. So, I mean... That's the origin of the term self-care in America. And so to broaden out beyond that and to look beyond the individual and the community and to think in terms of community care is kind of an extension of that. And I think Mm. that's what Jolent and I are saying, that we think it's important to acknowledge the roots of where self, the terminology of self-care first came from, and then to broaden that to something that can help more than the individual. Mm. Looking at the entire body of books that you, the both of you have tried out, what would you say has been your, each of your favorites? I'm going to just say the first thing that comes to mind, which is The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. And I know that sounds so basic, but I feel like it really helped get me from dragging a bunch of belongings with me every time I move to another apartment and not even thinking about what they are to now like knowing what I own and like where chargers are and what they go to and being better at donating things as I am done with them or just thinking twice about buying something if it's fast fashion like I feel like 
organizing my my life and taking inventory of my stuff and and you know giving it away and recycling it and all of that helped helped give me like a cleaner perspective on so many different things in my life and that sounds so freaking corny but it's true yeah it saves space to be corny here <laughs> and i still fold my socks like cute freaking pinwheels <laughs> i really enjoyed living by why good things happen to good people. It's not a perfect book. Some of it mm, has some cringeworthy moments in its writing. But the overall philosophy of doing good in the world doesn't just make the world a better place, which will then make us happier. But just the simple act of being kind causes us to have an endorphin rush that increases our happiness in the moment. Even talking behind people's backs and saying kind things about them, that gives us a rush and makes us happier. And I really loved living by that book. What's not fun about waking up each day and thinking, how am I going to be kind today? How am I going to make someone else's life better today? I loved that. That was the whole book. And I loved Mm. it. And I was so happy when we lived by that book. I loved it. Mm. Uh, Feel free to punt this one if if it feels inappropriate. But what are both of your least favorite books that you lived by? So oh, many. God, yeah. Gotta Where pick one. Where to begin? <laughs> Where to begin? I hated the four agreements. I know it is a crowd pleaser. People freaking love those four agreements. <laughs> I was underwhelmed by oh. that one as well. That was very disappointing. There's a lot of victim blaming in it. I mean, there's a lot of victim blaming in lots of self-help books, but that one in particular, it's like, Mm -hmm. if you're abused, maybe you need to think about what you did to ask for it, is essentially what it's saying through half the book. It's like, uh, what? It's like, maybe it's just your fault your feelings are hurt, because no one can hurt your feelings. Yes, if someone beats you up, it hurts, but maybe you made the decision for that to hurt. And it's like... Well, maybe they shouldn't have beat me up in the first place. Wow. How did I get past edits? Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that in that book. And Joe Lent and I both were like, whoa, eek. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jolenta, what's your pick? I mean, my pick is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which I feel like (laughs) is just sort of the same book wrapped in like a douchebag, you know, veneer. Um, where it's just, it's by this guy, Mark Manson, who used to be known for being a pickup artist and wrote a book on like how to date models. Yikes. Um, and then he decided he's the self-help guru, uh, because that's where the market shifted most likely. And wrote a book about how like he realized flashy cars and like all the hottest chicks, like don't fulfill your heart and like (laughs) getting turned down by a hot chick and like hiking by a tall cliff, like really gave him perspective. And it's just like, it's just written from like one of the most unaware vantage points, sort of like what you were talking about earlier, Nick. And he just, this guy has no idea how privileged he is and just how awful he sounds while telling people (laughs) to sort of get over their bullshit and like, follow their bliss thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me i really appreciate it oh thank you it was so nice thank you so much nick serving a pod is written and hosted by me nick qua you can check out more episodes at elias.com slash serving the pod the show is produced by Andrea Suahe, Jessica Alpert, and John Parati at Rococo Punch. 
Web design by Andy Cheatwood, and the digital and marketing teams at Southern California Public Radio. Logo and branding by Leo G. Thanks to the team at LAS Studios, including Kristen Hayford, Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Muller, and Leo G. Servant Pod is a production of LAS Studios. Colorado River is running dry. Water may not reach millions of people. So if there's no water, there's no water for everybody. It's up to California's lead negotiator, a 28-year-old. This is a historic thing coming. And six other negotiators to find a solution. I want an agreement that lessens the pain for all of us, not just some of us. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.